Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. Uh, lovely to be here in, uh, in Dundonald. I uh, managed, managed not to take my, my automatic uh, right turn into the hospital as I came in from Utnar's direction this morning, but, uh, well, it would have been a, a short mistake to correct, wouldn't it? But uh, greetings from the church in Bethany. Uh, lovely to be here with you from there this morning, just as, uh, as your own Richard is, uh, is there. Uh, in my place today, so uh, thank you for your, your welcome. It's been lovely to, uh, to to reconnect with Richard and Cherith. Uh, I used to to get in the in the car on a, a cold winter's morning on the way to the college, uh, and we picked up Richard and, and uh, Jeff Higgins on the way through to, to Moira from Coleraine. Uh, that's going back um, uh, longer than I'm going to admit right now, but um, uh, lovely to reconnect with uh, with them and uh, get to know the girls as well. Uh, over over dinner just recently, but um, lovely to be with you here this morning as well. And we're turning to uh, to Colossians uh, chapter one this morning and chapter two this evening. Uh, so Colossians chapter one, uh, we're going to uh, focus our uh, our time this morning just on verses fifteen to twenty three, but I'm going to read from the start. Uh, you'll get the context as we as we read. Uh, Richard, Richard uh, told me over dinner recently that he normally preaches for about an hour, so I'm going to take his uh, cue on that. And um, okay, nobody's falling for that. Okay, never mind. Uh, all right, let's um, let's uh, let's re- let's read Colossians uh, chapter one, starting from verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We finish our reading there. This is God's word. Why don't we pray just once more before we uh, really uh, get into it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this ancient letter preserved for us that we might uh, increase in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus and in our love for him. Father, would you teach us of him this morning uh, that we also might walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received in the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you ever heard someone say, uh, you're taking this too seriously, you're taking this too seriously. It's the end of the rugby season at the moment. Uh, any Ulster fans in the room, I'm really sorry for bringing that up. Uh, it's a bumpy, a bumpy end. Uh, my grandfather uh, would have told me of a time when he called to see a friend of his, I think a fellow pastor, uh, when he was in uh, Wales. The fellow pastor was Welsh. Uh, and the timing of that visit happened to be the day after uh, Ireland had beaten Wales in a rugby test match as uh, as they did, uh, of course, this year in the Six Nations. And this Welsh friend's wife answered the door, met my grandfather at the front door and said to him, and I'm not going to embarrass myself attempting any accents, but it said, it's no use, George, he won't speak to you. Well, why on earth not? Because of the rugby result. Ach, away on. Sure, it's only a game. But when my grandfather came into the house, sure enough, his friend would hardly speak to him. Uh, and needed some time and space to get over that result. Uh, now, you might say he was taking it too seriously. Maybe the Welsh would say he wasn't taking it seriously enough, shouldn't have even let him in the house. Uh, uh, but maybe you've been told at times you're taking this too seriously. Perhaps you're training for a marathon or some sort of sporting fixture. You're practicing for a music exam or recital or a school play or even just getting upset when yet again you have to advance to Mayfair and someone's got a hotel there and you're just about to go bankrupt. Uh, you just can't take it anymore. You're taking it too seriously. Well, what about your faith? What about your walk as a follower of the Lord Jesus? Have you ever been told you're taking that too seriously? Uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It depends on your family and friends, I suppose, but you might have heard that. A couple of good friends of mine were hospital doctors slogging through years of uh, university and study and workplace training, uh, bit by bit building the portfolio of knowledge and experience that they needed uh, to, to qualify, and both of them are now pastors. Uh, is that a waste? As they made that switch, some people told them that it was. Some people told them they were taking their faith and taking church too seriously. If you're at school and you're reluctant to join in with whatever your friends are doing because it doesn't fit 
with uh, following Jesus. Are you taking Jesus too seriously? Don't we need to fit in? If you're at university and you're balancing uh, study uh, with Christian union and uh, talking to friends about Jesus instead of going all out for that first in your exams, uh, that distinction grade, are you taking Jesus too seriously? If you're giving your money, your time, your abilities, your care to your church family, to children's ministry, to visiting uh, the lonely, to preparing music, to uh, upkeeping the buildings, to to upkeeping the accounts and the finances. If you're reading the Bible and praying and trying to learn uh, how to love God and obey him more and more every day, are you taking him too seriously? If we pass up or are passed over for opportunities, promotions, luxuries, because we're prioritizing our king and his kingdom, are we taking Jesus too seriously? We're, uh, we're focusing today on, uh, on Colossians 1 verses 15 to 23. But let me in just a 30 seconds or so summarize the first 14 verses. And it will help you, I suppose, if you can see it, if you keep it open in front of you. Uh, but the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to this fairly young uh, church, fairly young in the faith, Uh, these believers in the city of Colossae and he wrote to say that it's really brilliant that the gospel has changed your lives your your true hope in Christ has been this fertile soil for the fruit of faith uh, faith in God and love for God's people that's springing up because of this hope that you have and yes this life transformation that's happening to you is happening everywhere that that gospel seed is sown it's nothing short of what we should expect from a message that is true and that is so so good Look at verse 12. God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, all through Christ our King. Now, who knows what it cost the Colossians to turn to Jesus in a culture where life and livelihood revolved around the family and community and the customs and the worship of local gods, turning to Jesus, turning to King Jesus out of all of that could have been deeply difficult with perpetual pressure to give up and go back, to come back into the fold of of the worship of those local gods and all that goes with it. Are they taking Jesus too seriously? It's really costing them. And in the first 14 verses, Paul says, Oh no, you are not, not at all taking Jesus too seriously. From verse 15, he says, let me tell you more about him. Let me tell you more about Christ our King so that you are confident that this whole life transformation is exactly the right response. Let me tell you about him so that you are confident that you can never make too much of Christ. You can never take him too seriously. You can never be more affected by him than you should be. He is worth it all. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you about him. So let's hear Paul as he tells us about Christ. Uh, Paul, whose own life was turned upside down, after all, by meeting uh, the risen Lord. Let's hear what he has to say about about, uh, Jesus Christ. I realize as I start, uh, are you controlling everything in terms of this? That's great. Okay, so we're about to hit heading one. I should have uh, checked in with you beforehand. Sorry about that. Uh, So here's the first idea for today. Christ is the image of of God. Christ is the image of God. Obviously, that's verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, or Hebrews chapter 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, the exact representation of his being. 
So the Colossians had left behind all the gods of their culture, uh, their ancestral gods who cared for their families, their local gods who look after their city, uh, the great gods of the empire. They left all of that behind. Was Jesus worth it? Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the one true and living God. Uh, he is the, the revelation of him, the image of him. And what a brilliant result Jesus is. If you think uh, we were going to have this great reveal of who God is, well, how wonderful that the reveal shows us Jesus. Uh, I remember catching half an episode of a, a TV reality show going back a couple of years this, but it was a competition for interior designers. So think Great British Bake Off, um, but like for people, who, for people who enjoy wallpapering, okay? Um, so they, they competed, these different contestants would compete by making over rooms in real people's houses, their real houses, uh, making over it according to the, the designs that they had in their head, and some of them were flamboyant enough. I remember one quite bold and, and quite silly design for a room, uh, and it was all fitted and all furnished in what was otherwise quite a seriously decorated house. Uh, and when the homeowners came and saw it for the first time, and they had that reveal Oh, they hated it. I mean, there were tears. There were, I mean, they didn't like what they had before. That's why they gave it up to be redecorated, but they really hated what was done with this room. Uh, but the opposite happens when Jesus reveals God to us. The result is actually wonderful. The devil's lie from Genesis 3 was never that God doesn't exist. It was always that God isn't good. Uh, he's stingy. He's selfish. He's holding you back. Uh, even today, when someone tells you that they don't believe in God, just tease that out a little bit. What God do they not believe in? What do they think he's like, this God that they don't believe in? Is he gruff and grumpy, always angry, always watching, always disapproving, ready to catch you out and punish you? Like some sort of evil Santa Claus? You know, he knows when you're naughty. He knows when you're nice. He's got you on his list. He's watching all the time. I forget how that song goes. It's wrong time of the year. But, but living with this God is like living in some sort of North Korea dictatorship, something like that. Or if you're a Christian and you find it much easier, you know, to come along and sing about, about Jesus, the friend of sinners. And that's, that's what I need, Jesus, the friend of sinners. But much harder to feel close to, to God on his throne. Uh, we'll hear this. Jesus is the image of invisible God. Jesus reveals that God to us. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature, the exact representation of his being. Whatever you imagine when you hear the word God, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. It, it's dangerous and wrong that behind Jesus lurks some sort of more sinister version of God, some sort of dictator who is uh, somehow lower in his love or cheaper with his compassion or stingy with his grace. When we read Colossians and we look at Christ our King, we're looking at the very heart of who God is. No version of God, no matter how respectfully he's worshipped, no matter how philosophically sophisticated all the explanations are, no matter how widely accepted this version of God might be, no version of God that looks one pixel different to Jesus Christ is the true God. No version of God that looks one pixel different to Jesus Christ is worth anything to us as God. Christ is the image of invisible God. 
Paul goes on. He says, the firstborn over all creation. And we are going to speed up a little bit shortly. But he says, the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? Firstborn here, uh, not about Jesus' origins, but about his inheritance. It means that Jesus has the rights and the privileges of the firstborn. He's, uh, well, how timely. He's the prince who inherits the kingdom. He's the firstborn. He's the inheritor. He's the sovereign ruler of all creation. Uh, And how come? Verse 16, because by him all things were created. He's the agent of creation through whom God made all things. And that is all things, including everything that we don't see every day. Yes, the earth, also the heavens, uh, all the beings and powers of the heavens. I think Paul mentions thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. And maybe some of that is... Uh, so they say some of that is Jewish shorthand for different kinds of angels. don't know if that's true, but, uh, but the point is that Jesus is the source of all creation and he is the goal of all creation. All things, Paul says, were created through him and for him, for his honor, for his enjoyment, for his glory. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So Christ continually sustains his whole creation. We think it's about physics and chemistry and biology, and it is about those things. But above and beneath and and around and amongst and beyond it all is the eternal Son of God, the living Word of God, the creating agent, the inheritor, the the ruler, the, the sustainer, the image of God himself, Jesus Christ. Are we taking him too seriously? Are we taking our walk with him too seriously? Paul promises us we are not, we could not. Every step of faith that we take in him, every echo in us of his love, every pang of our future hope, every act of obedience, every minute of service, every tiptoe of humility, every choice for our unity, all of it and more is well spent on him. Uh, He is the reason we exist. He is the goal of our lives. His glory is our highest calling and our deepest joy, whether we yet know that or not. Do you want to know the God of all creation? Do you want to know what he's really like? Do you want to meet him? Do you want to know him? Do you want to be forgiven by him, welcomed by him, adopted by him, restored by him, and even glorified under him? Do you want to be delightful to him? And also delight in him. We need more of Christ. He is the image of God. We need more of Christ. Now, we're almost getting ahead of ourselves. Christ is the image of God. And uh, also, Christ is the head of his people. Um, So it would not be good news for us if Christ was simply a creator. He is only good news for us because he is our redeemer. Uh, So verse 18 He is the head of the body, the church. So the world, of course, wants nothing to do with God. The world swallows that lie of the devil that God is, you know, Vladimir, Yahweh. He's Kim Jong, Jehovah. He's this cosmic dictator who wants nothing more than to squash us, to have his own way, uh, to have his own profit at our expense. Uh, And the Colossians once thought that way as well, as did we uh, before we yet knew Christ, as perhaps some of us still do think this way. Uh, if we don't 
yet know him. We think this way in some flavor or other. But Christ is not only the creator, he's the redeemer. So not only Lord, but savior. He's the creator of all humanity and he's the head of a new humanity uh, that he calls his body, the church. And like a body, it's a people that he leads, he governs, he cares for, and he sustains. He cherishes us as his very own, as he cherishes his own self. And it's a people, this church, the head of the body, the church, it's a people who are being saved from the universal choice of death. It's a people who are being saved through his death. He is, verse 18, the firstborn from among the dead. What a strange, uh, strange passage to bring death into this. But death is in it, isn't it? Death is in us. And this time, uh, firstborn, firstborn from among the dead, firstborn still means inheritor, ruler, uh, supreme king, but with the added picture of his resurrection. He is the first and the foremost to have come through death. Uh, he was always the Lord, but he is confirmed and revealed and displayed as the Lord as he defeats our enemies of sin and death. Had that not happened, uh, where would we be? So verse 18, he is preeminent and supreme, not only in creation, not only mighty, but, but merciful. Supreme and preeminent in recreation. Uh, and that brings Paul back uh, in this letter to the gospel. So verse 19 says, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in verse 16, creation was by him, through him, and for him. Now in verse 19, salvation is in him and through him and to him. Uh, in, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We have this uh, rich language, isn't it? Fullness, filling. Uh, it makes me think of custard for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why, but it's kind of a, uh, the, the way a custard would fill up a bowl, this fullness, this rich filling. Uh, it's thick language, isn't it? So uh, think back to Genesis 1 and 2. God wanted his image bearers to go and fill the world take his glory take his image his representation to every corner of his world as if it was a, some sort of cosmic temple uh, in several places God's presence his fullness fills the place of worship the temple the tabernacle uh, where is the place of the permanent filling of God well it's in Christ uh, in whom the, the, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is fully God and forever. And so verse 20, as God, as the glorious, generous, great and good God of creation who gave us life and love and breath and meaning, as the God spurned and shunned and shunted out of our lives, Jesus is able to make peace. He's able to bring us together through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. There are two ways to make peace, aren't there? Uh, one is to, is to put down rebellion, to flatten it, to squash it, to wipe it out. After that, there is peace, kind of. Uh, the other way is to, to reconcile, to build bridges, to restore relationship, to seek community. Now, Jesus will do the first one of those. He will put down rebellion. When he comes again, there will be peace. He is the king and he will rule. 
But right now he has done and is still doing the second of those. He reconciles, he makes peace, he builds bridges, he restores community. He is uniquely able to do that because he is the one wronged by our rebellion. In him the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. He is the one slighted by our sin. And yet he is the one who was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He traded places with us. He bought our lives with his life. He gave us the death sentence that treason deserves and then wrapped himself around us as that death sentence fell. He absorbed it. He was killed by it. He took it. And because we're wrapped up in him, we live. How seriously should we take this Jesus? Well, how seriously would we take a hangman's noose? How seriously would you take a guillotine? How seriously would you take a death sentence? How serious is it to have put ourselves and to keep on putting ourselves squarely up against the God uh, and giver of life, an inventor and source of all love, uh, the rightful authority of all creation and the generous giver of all goodness? How serious is it to be against him? It's not ideal, is it? It's a disaster. It's the mother and father of all disasters. We, we need peace. We've got nothing to bring, nothing to offer, nothing to say, but we need peace. We burn every bridge with him. We cut every channel of communication and we have no way back. We need peace. But really, we're, we're so far gone, we don't even want peace. But he makes peace. He is our peacemaking king. He's the image of God. He's the head of his new people. He's the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and therefore the one who could make peace. He's the creator and the savior. Uh, and so finally for this morning, uh, let's hope in our peacemaking king. Why don't we just read from verse 21 just to 23. Uh, we'll freshen these up for us. Uh, verse 21, that you who were uh, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister so these final verses go something like this we were he has we are if we that's the that's the flow we wear something we wear what we wear he has done something uh, we are now something different if we continue in him so we were he has we are if we let's let's just break that down we were so verse 21 uh, you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I'm sure you know what it's like to lose touch with people. Uh, friends from times past, uh, church folks who uh, perhaps lived here and moved away, or perhaps you lived somewhere else and came here and we just lose touch with each other. Even family members uh, can lose touch. This alienation is not that. This is the estrangement uh, of our attempt at a bitter divorce from our maker. This estrangement is the deepest of all family feuds. 
Like Adam and Eve, our minds turn against him, our actions follow suit, and this spiral of anti-God thought and action thought and action uh, spins into effect, each reinforcing the other until we're calling good evil and evil good. Um, how many evils in the world today are applauded and celebrated? How deep in that would we be waiting without Christ? So we were alienated and hostile. But he has, so verse 22, you he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. But the solution to the human problem doesn't begin there. No matter how much Disney you watch, it's not true. The the solution doesn't start here. It starts at the cross of Christ. Uh, He became one of us to live the life that God deserved from us and then to die the death that we deserved from God. And in doing that, he made peace. With all our hostility taken to where it belonged, dealt with at the cross, we can be reunited with our maker. So he has. So we were, he has. So that we are, next, next little bit, uh, verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is what we now are because of what he's done. So in the cosmic courtroom, we ought to stand handcuffed in the dock, but instead we're presented as belonging to God, as right with God, as delightful to God. And so the devil and all his kind are furious because every accusation they can throw at us is 100% true. Did you ever think about that? The devil never has to lie about us, never has to paint us in a, a bad light. He's got all the ammunition he needs. They're throwing every accusation at us. It's all 100% true, and yet not one bit of it sticks. We are spiritual Teflon in Christ. It all stuck to him on the cross, and now we are, we are set apart for God. We are blameless before him. We are above reproach before him. None of it sticks. So we were hostile. He has made peace. We now are above reproach before him. If we, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So in other words, if we hope in our peacemaking king, Look at the, the three S's of verse 23. I don't know if you've got uh, S's in, uh, in your translation perhaps, but uh, stable and steadfast and not shifting. So stable, continue stable, uh, not wobbling because we're standing on Christ. Continue steadfast, not drifting because we're, we're sticking and clinging to Christ as he clings to us. And not shifting, so not climbing off Christ, not drifting away from him. We're going to say more about that tonight. Uh, but not shifting. So be content with this gospel of Christ. Uh, It's more than enough. He is more than enough. His work on the cross, done and dusted, which we'll remember in just a few minutes with bread and wine, is more than enough. So hope in our peacemaking king. Be stable, be steadfast, not shifting. Are you taking Jesus too seriously? I promise you that you are not. Uh, You cannot. Some of us uh, here today uh, may not be followers of Jesus at all, uh, and you're not sure if there's a God out there, and uh, from what you imagine of him, you're not sure you want there to be uh, a God out there either, and I have nothing for you today 
but Christ. He is the image of God. He's the imprint of his being in Jesus. There is a goodness and a kindness and a love that is beyond a preacher to express. I can only tell you to, to open this book and to read of him. Re read the gospel. See his kindness and his goodness and his trueness at play. Taste and see that he is good. Dig deeper into him. Many of us today are followers of Jesus, but some of us might be bored of him. Bored of Jesus, you might be a bit more interested in yourself than you are in him. You might want to take yourself a bit more seriously than you take him. Uh, well, that is a disaster. Um, respectfully, you, you urgently need to see him more clearly, to take him more seriously than you take yourself, because he is beautiful and glorious and worthy. Some of us uh, might be sagging under this, this loaded backpack of guilt and shame. And you think the people around you and perhaps sitting next to you would be utterly horrified if they knew what you're carrying, what's on your back. You need to see the glorious worth of Christ so that you know that his death was more than enough for all that you're carrying. He really has forgiven you. He really has made peace. He really has reconciled you and, and lifted you above reproach. Nothing now sticks. Put down that guilt. Put down that shame. Come and, and rejoice in him. Maybe you're going through the mill of temptation. You need to see that Christ is better than what tempts you, uh, that he's the true answer to what you deeply desire, uh, so that you need to you need to wade out past the shallows where you get all the, the shallow answers of this world. You need to take that desire deeper, wade past all those easy answers and out into the depths of Christ for true satisfaction. You might be under all manner of pressures. Well, he is the king of creation, old and new. He is uh, the Lord of this world and the Lord of the next. Come what may, Jesus is the king. And he's got you cannot, as we finish, we cannot take him seriously enough, but we can keep hoping in him, and he is enough. Why don't we pray? We'll pray for his help to hope in him. We will uh, respond as we sing and, and pray through our song that we would keep hoping in him, and then we're going to remember, we're going to take a means of clinging to him as we share around the table. Why don't we pray, and then we'll sing. Father, where do we begin to praise you for your son, our savior, our friend, our king, the Lord of all, the Lord of this age and the Lord of the age to come? Where do we begin to praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you that as he reveals you to us, we discover that you are not the dictator, the tyrant, the, the stingy God that we've been led to believe, but you're the God of eternal love, the God of unending kindness thank you that you have made peace with us even us as only you had the right to do thank you that we have all that we need in christ and we pray that you would help us to walk ever more closely and confidently in him until the time when our faith gives way to sight and we see him face to face and for his glory and for our good we pray